So uh, just a question for you before we start is, uh, how, how many of you ha- have already started listening to Christmas music and have your Christmas lights up? Okay, less of you with the Christmas lights, some of you with the Christmas music. Well, I will not judge you for that, but uh, the Christmas, this Christmas season is upon us, and uh, we have our Christmas lights up, and I, I secretly listen to a little Christmas music as well. Um, ad- but I, that just points us to our Advent series. Um, we're going to start, Advent starts next week, and, and we're going to take a theme out of Exodus, and that is a, it's actually a missionary theme that God has in the book of Exodus, that he is going to make himself known. God is going to, to reveal himself to his people and to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, and to the nations that he is God. He's doing that. He's on a mission to make his glory known. Uh, and we want to trace that theme out through the Bible a little bit. So we're going to, we're going to start in Genesis 15 and talk about how God began this mission with, with Abraham, making a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, promising him an offspring. Uh, and then we're going to move on. Uh, Michael Lawrence will come and preach for us uh, from 2 Samuel 7, how he established his kingdom through David, only to go on to a greater David. And then we're going to look at, in John 1, how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we're going to end in Revelation 5, sort of mission accomplished. All, all, everyone who has become a believer in Jesus around the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation, bringing worship to, to Jesus. So that's where we're going to be heading in our Advent series. And I just want, I just want to ask you to consider a few things. What would it look like to rearrange your Christmas traditions? I don't mean stop them or, or do different things necessarily, but what would it look like for you to have a Christmas tradition but actually invite a non-Christian into that Christmas tradition? God wants to make himself known. He wants to make himself known even through our Christmas traditions. So I just want to invite you to think, what, what could that look like? Inviting a, a, a friend to, to do something that uh, you normally do as just a family or, 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 or on your own. What would that look like? And then, uh, you know, families, but all of us, let's, I want us to think about what would it look like for us not to do like eight presents for every child or for every person, but what would it look like for us to do six or seven presents and take some of that money and think about how we could give it so God would make his name known to people groups across the world? like on the Tibetan Plateau, that, that global workers that we're supporting. So just two things to think about. Just pray, like, how, God, how would you want me to think about this? Uh, and, and, then, and, then, and then act, because Advent means coming. God came into the world to give himself for his people. He's coming again to take his people to himself. So let's just be thinking in this Advent series, like how in this Advent season, how we can be on mission with God, him making himself known to the nations. So will you pray about that? And as we head into it, I'm, I'm pretty excited. But we are going to be in Exodus where we have uh, started in Exodus several months ago. And uh, we have seen how, how God has introduced himself, how, how Moses has introduced the people into slavery, and, and, and we, we're kind of wondering what God is going to do, and he's told us what he's going to do. I'm going to deliver my people, and I'm, the sovereign Lord is going to deliver his people to worship him. They've been delivered, they're going to be delivered for a reason, and that is to worship his great name. And so, uh, this morning, I, I wanted us to think about something from, from history. A man named John Newton 
who was a pastor and the, the author of Amazing Grace, and a man named William Cooper. It's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's Cooper, not Cowper. He was a, a poet and an author of, of the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. These two men met in Olney, England in the 1770s. And not long after they met, John Newton asked William Cooper to help him put a hymnal together. Cooper being a great poet and, and Newton being a pastor and a hymn writer, they, they wanted to gather a collection of hymns so, so that they might be a, a ministry, so it might be a ministry to the church. But it also was meant to be a testament to a great friendship between Newton and Cooper. And in 1773, William Cooper had a dream that he was eternally condemned to hell and that God was calling him to sacrifice his own life. And this isn't the first time Cooper, this happened to Cooper, but Cooper went insane. And Newton remembers the, the great sorrow that he felt for that. And he wrote in the preface to the only hymn, hymn, hymn book, he wrote that he believed this, this project uh, got, that would have been finished already if not for the wise but mysterious providence of God that had seen fit to cross his wishes. He says, cross my fair designs. He, he said this would have already happened, but in God's good providence, he crossed my wishes, he crossed my fair designs. And it's, it's, it wasn't finished till 1779. This is what the Christian life can feel like sometimes. This is what, it's not all sunshine and roses, right? Sometimes God does not relieve our sufferings right away, but instead he crosses our fair designs. He crosses our wishes. He doesn't deliver us right away. And that suffering, let's just be honest, sometimes can cause us to doubt God. It can cause us to question whether he's good or whether he's actually wronging us right now. So the question for us this morning, the question for us this morning was the same question was for Moses and for Israel. Will we walk by faith and not by sight? Will we walk by faith and not by sight? Will, will we trust God's word about himself, who he is and what he will do, or will we walk by sight and attempt to make our own way of it? God has given us means from Exodus 6 this morning. He's given us means to walk by faith and not by, by sight. So, you think God has crossed your fair designs? What's he up to? You have questions, and the questions should lead to you walking by faith. And, and Exodus 6 tells us three things, I think. Walking by faith means remembering the God of the past, believing the God of the present, and trusting the God of the future. Remembering the God of the past, believing the God of the present, and trusting the God of the future. And we'll see how this comes straight from Exodus 6. Let's turn there now. Exodus is in the first half of the Christian Bible called the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. The large numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are that look like footnotes are the verse numbers. We're going to read 1 through 13. 
But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord said, spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is God's holy word. So, what are these means that God has given us? What are the means that God has given us to, to walk by faith and not by sight? Well, number one is remembering the God of the past. Remembering the God of the past. Now, in, in verse one, uh, fair, uh, God is answering Moses's basically his prayer request slash accusation from verse chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Why have you done evil to this people? You have not delivered them yet. God was not acting according to Moses's expectations. And God says, now you'll see what I will do. Pharaoh is going to let them go because of my strong hand. I think that's what that means. My strong hand will be on Pharaoh, and he's going to let them go. In fact, my strong hand will be on him so much that he will drive them out of this land. And then God, in verse 2, gives Moses and the people of Israel the means that they can walk by faith and not by sight. I think it just should just define what faith is for us. What is faith, right? It could be a confusing term. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's used in different ways in our culture, bantied about uh, in different ways. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. What does that mean? Well, it means what the author of Hebrews is telling us, that means that faith is based in reality. Faith is based in something true, objective. But that reality is not yet seen. It's not, it's not something, uh, who, who hopes for what he sees, Paul says in Romans. It's, but it is founded on the words of God. And faith takes hold of that promise and says, I believe it. You know, some of the ways that this is used, have you heard it before? You know, uh, someone has struggled with some cancer or disease, and they said, hey, it's my faith that got me through this. And that can mean a few things, can't it? My faith got me through this. Now, what can that mean? What you have to ask the question, it, was it the exercise of faith that got you through this? This was me exercising more hope in God. This was me uh, putting to work my, my hope in, or, or something else, my hope in science or medicine. So what, is that, what does it mean, my faith got me through this? It also could mean it was my faith, the system of belief, right? The, the, the Christian belief system that got me through this. It was, it was my faith in God. He, he is the one who's done this for me. He healed me. It's my faith that got me through. So biblical faith, friends, biblical faith is objective, right? It's, it's, it has objectivity. It's reality, like I said. It's based in reality. The strength of faith, Michael Barrett says this in the Gospel of Exodus, the strength of faith is not in its exercise, but in its object. The strength of faith is not in its exercise, but in its object. Biblical faith is trust in the words of God. One theologian put it like this, it's, it's not in the implicit assent without knowledge content, Right? We're not talking about blind faith here, friends. We're not talking about a, a faith that doesn't need knowledge about something. We're, we're talking about a faith that is in God's words. It is trust revealed in the word of God and, and, and obedience to that word. So what, what is God calling these children of Israel to do? They obeyed. What did they get for it? More suffering. So what are they called to do? They're called to trust in God's revelation of himself. God is calling the suffering children of Israel and you to remember, to believe his words, the, based on what he's done in the past. So what, what did God do in the past? He tells us in verse 3, he says, you should remember the God of the past, if you're going to live by faith. So what has he done? He has appeared to our ancestor, their ancestors, as God Almighty. He appeared. He showed up. And how did he reveal himself? As the God with all might, all power, can do anything. Genesis 17, 1, he appeared to Abraham and he said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me, and I will make you a great nation. So he appeared, and he shows up, and he says, I'm Almighty God. Do, do what I say. You can trust me. You can believe me. 
The second thing he did for them was to establish his covenant to give them the land of Canaan. You see that in verse 4. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. But you'll notice that even then, as the God of the past says he's God Almighty, he's going to give them this land that they're just wandering about in, that they're actually sojourners. They're aliens. They, they, are, they are not from this country. They're just like traveling through it. They're, they're, they're wandering around. They're setting up tents, and then they're moving on because someone else owns the land. But God promises in Genesis 15, 18 that he's going to give them this whole land from the river Egypt to the river Euphrates. He promised that to Abraham. And now where are the children of Abraham? They're in slavery in Egypt. So is God going to fulfill his promise or isn't he? He promised to give it to them while they were still wandering. And Abraham believed God. It wasn't, it wasn't theirs yet. They were, and now they're enslaved in Egypt. How much further from the promise can they be? The question comes to mind, is he really God Almighty? Is he really God Almighty? This is where faith comes into play. We ask the question, will you believe his words through your circumstances and suffering? Or will you believe your circumstances as they suggest otherwise? So through, though you are suffering, will you trust that what he has done in the past, will you trust that what he's done in the past sets the pattern for what he will do in the future, for, for what he has set? Will you walk by sight? Trusting what your circumstances tell you about God, or will you, on the other hand, let God's word tell you what to think about your circumstances? That's the question. You're, you're suffering. Your, your, your breakdowns. Will you let that interpret what God is doing, or will you let God's word Interpret your circumstances. And may, maybe you feel like the Israelites in verse 9, that their harsh suffering and, and servitude is, had made their hearts hardened so they, they couldn't listen to Moses or God. It's just too much, God. But living by faith means looking to the object of your faith, not your circumstances. It means interpreting your circumstances through God's word. You look to the past to interpret the future. But not your past, the God of the past. One of the reasons they could trust God was because of the way he revealed himself. He revealed himself as God Almighty. Oh yes, he was God with all power, but he was more than that. He said, I didn't reveal myself as the Lord. Josh Armentano taught about this several weeks ago. The, the I am, the great, the great I am, the one who will be, the one who is everything. He's self-sufficient, and so because he is, you can trust him for everything that you need. He has revealed himself this way to the children of Israel and to us. He's given, he's given, them, he's given them more revelation that he is the God of faithful presence. He's not just God Almighty. 
It doesn't seem as though they had never heard this word before. It's used in Genesis, uh, the Lord, you know, the capital L, capital O, R, D, uh, all of those capitals represent that Yahweh, that self-sufficient God, the I am. And he's used that before in Genesis. But I think what Moses is saying, what God is telling the children of Israel was that though they had heard the name before, they were not made aware of its full meaning. The patriarchs were utterly, they weren't utterly ignorant of this name. Rather, they did not understand its implications of faithful presence, that God would be with them. So in delivering Israel and fulfilling his promises, the Lord is about to let his people know intimately and by experience his name. And friends, there is a certain privilege that comes with more revelation. The, the people of Israel had more revelation than, than Abraham did. And now, friends, we have more revelation than them. We have the, the full Bible revealed to us. What was it all about? It was all about Jesus Christ coming to fulfill all of these covenant, covenant promises for them. And with all of that comes greater responsibility. So what does it look like then to have this revelation and then to live by faith and not by sight? It's to remember the God of the past and charge forward with confidence into the present and future. The God of the past and knowing and, and, and praying his promises will, will help us as we charge into the future of things unknown, things unseen. Will God deliver his people? Will he deliver you? You can trust him. Because you remember the God of the past. Now, secondly, believing the God of the present. Now, verse 5 tells us, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So God Almighty, the Lord, the Lord, the great I am, now says, you can believe me because I'm also the God of the present. Not, I'm not just guiding the past. I didn't just put this thing into motion and then let it go by itself. No, I'm also the God of the present. God Almighty is, is here with us. So understanding this section means looking at two words, I think. Having heard, having heard, the hearing, and the covenant. So we're just going to explore those two words real quickly. He is the God who hears the groaning of his people. It says, having heard the groaning of his people, he remembers his covenant. Ha- having heard just means he, 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 he knows. He knows now. Having heard, he, he hears now. Does anyone else have a hard time listening when they're watching TV or scrolling on their phone? Or is it just me? Just me, <laughs> one other brave soul. Man, if I come into a room and my kids are watching TV, I might as well be talking to the dead. They do not hear anything I say. Uh, anyone else with kids have that same problem? Yeah, I see you, I see you, see that hand. Uh, yeah, they, you can't hear, they can't hear anything, and, and so one of the things you have to do is like pause the TV or turn it off, right? So finally get their attention, 
And I was like, oh, dad, you were talking to me. Oh, great, okay. So what, what happens when you do get their attention is, is uh, okay, gr- great, now I have their attention. Uh, thank you for, for listening to me. Can you imagine, though, let me just, let me just turn a little bit this, this illustration. Can you imagine, though, you're not trying to get the attention of your kids, but you're trying to get the attention of the President of the United States? You know, just imagine someone who, who, whose spouse has died, uh, and, and, and now the, uh, they're not able to provide for their family. The bank is going to repossess their house and repossess their car, and the IRS is going to audit them, and, and, and they feel hopeless, and the only thing they can think to do is write to the President of the United States. Now imagine writing to him and him answering you back, saying he's going to help. That, that's getting a little closer to what it means that God Almighty, the covenant Lord, has heard the groaning of my people and has remembered his covenant with them. You might not believe the president. You can choose not to believe the president. You can choose to believe that he won't follow through on his promises. That's, you know, maybe someone else is answering the letter. That, uh, that it's, it's not really him. Someone is, is messing with you and doesn't really intend to help you. You can choose to believe all of that. But if the president said he will, and he put his presidential seal on this letter, it is, it is more likely, almost certain, that he will help you. Now here's the difference with God Almighty. When God says he hears, he is not just likely to do something. If he says he hears and he's going to act, it is certain that he will. So what's he promising to do? What's God promising to do since he's heard? He's, he's promising to remember. I will remember. Now, friends, that may make no sense to us. Who, who cares if he remembers? But remembering is an intentional covenant act. God makes a promise he says, I, I'm calling it to mind. I, I haven't forgotten. It's, it's in my mind right now. I do not forget. I'm hearing my people groan under severe pressure and under suffering. And when they do, and when I say I hear and I remember, they should be assured that God is about to act. So a covenant. Having heard He's recalling to mind, he's remembering, what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise. Uh, it's an agreement between two parties. It's usually in the ancient Near Eastern culture, it's a, it was a king who would, who would go into covenant with probably like a group of people called a vassal nation, and, and, and he would make a covenant with them. He would bind himself to these people, and there would be terms to this covenant. He says, I will do this for you. I will protect you from your enemies. And in return, you'll, you'll do something for me. You'll give me some sort of payment. And the, the, the term literally means to cut a covenant. The cutting of the covenant involved animals. And they took animals and they cut them in two pieces. I, I know this is kind of weird, right? It's a different culture, but, but this is what they would do. They would, they would cut the animals in half, and, and then the two parties, the representative parties, would walk through 
those pieces of the, of the animals. They would, they would walk through the animals and they would swear to each other that if they broke the covenant, that they would be treated exactly as those animals were treated. So O. Palmer Robertson in, in his book, The Christ of the Covenant, said a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. So a, a, a king is going to bind himself to a people, and then he is going to administer the sign of that covenant in, in, in blood. The animals cut in two. So the covenantal act of remembering was for them, the people, for you, for, for God's people to draw their mind back to, to when he, when God, the king of the universe, the God Almighty, made a covenant with Abraham. And they were supposed to say, oh yes, I remember and I believe. God made that covenant. Friends, the two parties would usually walk through the two pieces of the animals, but not in his covenant with Abraham. God put Abraham to sleep and walked through those alone, binding himself the terms of the covenant were all on him. And he says, if I fail to meet that covenant, I will be treated like these animals, cut in two. If I fail. Now, just so happens, the terms of that covenant were for him to be destroyed. Jesus Christ came and offered his body on the cross, essentially being torn in two broken and poured out for his people. So what God had promised to Abraham and his offspring, he said he will fulfill. And it's if you are Abraham's true offspring, not, not just a Jewish person or an Israelite, but if you are his true offspring, if you have faith like Abraham in the covenant promise of God, he says, I've remembered you. Those are promises apply to you. I have remembered my covenant. And God says he remembers, he binds himself to us. He binds himself to his people. So remembering the God of the past and believing the God of the present are covenantal acts which help us live by faith and not by sight. Remember, remember God. Call it to mind. This is what thanksgiving is. Remembering the things that God has done, calling them to mind, and then expressing them to others. That's a covenantal act, remembering God. So in this Thanksgiving season, when you sit around the table and some awkward person like me says, okay, everyone's going to say something they're thankful for, Friends, we should remember this, we are, this is a covenantal act. We're calling to mind God's covenant promises. Everything he does is help us to live by faith and not by sight. I mean by faith and not by sight. It means remembering the God of the past. It means believing the God of the present. It means trusting the God of the future. Verses 6 through 8. There are set, the Lord has guided through the past and the present, and as God of the future, he tells Moses what he is going to do in seven I will statements. He says, 
I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Pointing to the future of what he's about to do. And what the great I am, the God, the God of the covenant, the God of future promises, what he's about to do is to redeem. He's going to promise his redemption, relationship, and rest. The God of the future promises redemption, relationship, and rest in verses 6, 7, and 8. I just want you to know, notice the verbs that are used here. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring. I will bring you out from under the bondage of the Egyptians. I will bring. I will deliver. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will bring you out. I will deliver. I will redeem you. Friends, this, this is language of, of sort of buying slaves out of slavery. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back. And the way he chooses to do that is with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Here's what suffering does for us. Suffering says God's arm is too short to save me. That's why I'm not saved right now. This is why I, I'm still going through suffering and hurt and heartache and pain. Living by sight tells us that God's arm is too short. He can't do it. And God says, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm coming after you. And my arm is going to save you, and it is strong enough to do it. And the way he's going to do it is through great acts of judgment. These are the plagues that are coming for Egypt, the ones who are going to keep them in slavery and bondage. And God's saying, they're not too strong. I will redeem you. I will. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. But he doesn't just promise this redemption, this buying out of slavery. He also promises a relationship. He, he promises in verse 7 that he will take them to be his people. This is, this is relational language. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. God is just not redeeming them out of something. He's redeeming them to something. He, he has promised that he is going to continue on into the present and the future. He, he's calling them right now in their suffering, in the, in the remaining time until he brings them out with a mighty hand. He's calling them to remember that his redemption, his buying out, that this slavery has, has, does not, their circumstances and this slavery does not determine who they are. God determines who they are. And he promised a relationship with them. You, you will be my people because you are my people, and I will be your God. Friends, this is, the, this is the covenant promise that takes us all the way through Scripture. You can trace it all the way through Scripture. As we go into the, to the conquest of Joshua, one of the things that God says to Joshua is, fear not, do not be afraid. Why? Do you remember? Because I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you, ever. This is the covenant promise. You know, fear not is one of the most oft-repeated commands in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Fear not. He comes, to, he comes to Mary. He comes to Joseph. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because this baby, Emmanuel, God 
with us is here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then in the end, the great covenant promise of God is fulfilled. God, in Revelation, it tells us it's as if God is coming down to man. And his presence will be with them. And they, I will be your God and you will be my people. You can trace it out all the way through scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't live by sight, friends. You, your circumstances are telling you one thing. Your circumstances may be altering your faith. But, but faith takes hold of the covenant promises and it interprets our circumstances through who God really is the redeeming relational God who promises to give you rest. In verse 8, he, he is not just going to save them from something, he's going to save them to something, a relationship with him, but, but also he's going to give them the promised land. In verse 8, he tells them, I will bring you in. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that land where they were aliens, sojourners, they were wandering around, he says, I will give it to you. You're going to come into it, and then you're going to possess it. You, you, it is going to be yours. Now, that, that really happened, okay? Joshua uh, tells us of the conquest, and we don't have time to talk about all the hard things that that means, but they, they came into this land by God's covenant promise. They also exited the land because of their covenant, because their disobedience to the covenant. So what does it mean if they're not, you know, if they weren't there finally? Well, as we go into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, it, it tells us that Joshua was only pointing to a final rest. This, this, it was not just about a geographical location. It was about, it was about a, a rest that only God can give, and he will finally give as his people come in, into his presence, uh, into his land, the, the real covenant promise. So, Will God's people finally come into a land? Yes, they will. They will come into a land flowing with milk and honey. They will, they will come into this place of, uh, of, of no night because God is the light of it. They will come into this place as, as God brings them into it. And this promise has sort of a double fulfillment. It was fulfilled in the Old Testament, and it's, it is going to be finally fulfilled as God is with his people. This covenant rest, this, this rest that God is providing for you comes through living by faith and not by sight. So if you're here, if you're, if you're not a Christian, and, and you think, okay, all of this sounds really nice, it's, it, it's really great, you know, I, I, I could use some of this stuff in my life. I, I could use the rest that you're, you're talking about. The rest that is promised is a rest offered to you. It, it, it's a rest offered to all of those who will turn from their striving into a relationship with God. They, anyone who will turn to the redemption that God provides them through the death of His own Son. Friends, so centuries later, a man named Jesus, he, he came, he, he came to, to earth. 
through, through the birth of a woman. He, he was actually God Almighty. He, was, he had forever been God, and, and in God's providential circumstances, he, he sent his own son to come down to earth, to take on human flesh. And, and, and this, this God, man, when he came in, actually to, to deliver his people from the ultimate slavery that Exodus is talking about. Exodus, Exodus is talking about a, a bondage of slavery to Egypt. Actually, all humankind is under bondage of slavery to sin. Every one of us. Every one of us uh, are born into sin, and we sin by our own wills every day in thought, word, and deed. Jesus Christ was the only one who never did. He came into this world and he, he never sinned. He always lived by faith. He, he always pleased his Father. And he did all of that. So, so to live a righteous life in order to die in your place. In order to actually take the punishment that your sin deserves, which was death, the wrath of God being poured out on him. See, this is the true exodus. Jesus Christ dying for your sins and for mine brought you and can bring you and me out of slavery. Redeem us. This is the only way, friends, to, to have a relationship with God, to please God. Is through his son, Jesus Christ. See, it's, I, I think some of us think, you know, if we obey the Ten Commandments, if we do the right things, then God will love us and redeem us. That's not how it works. God redeems and calls you into a relationship of obedience to him. The redemption is first. Jesus provided that. Through his righteous life and his, his righteous sacrificial death on your part, and, and, and then he rose again. And in this rising, he pleased God. He gave, uh, God gave his approval on this by raising him from the dead. And as he, as he lives now, he brings people into that rest. So I just ask you, have you believed God for that rest? Cast your eyes onto the object, the one who's done it all, Jesus Christ. Friends, living by faith and not by sight means remembering three things. Redemption, relationship, and rest are an assured reality because of the work of Christ. There's a, there, there is a, a work that he has done. So how do we live by faith and not by sight? If you're not a Christian, turn in repentance and faith to Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that afterwards if you're interested in that. Interested in hearing more about it. If, you are a, if you're a Christian, here's one of the ways we do this is by setting our affections on, on the unseen things above and not on things of this earth. We're, we're casting our mind onto, onto the things of heaven. And friends, one of the temptations is to live by our feelings that suffering produces. And suffering can harden us to... to, to, to faith in Christ. It's hard to listen and to believe, just like the people of Israel and Moses himself. Suffering calls us to doubt. 
But notice, you know, even in, in, in verses 10 through 13, Moses, he tends to make excuses that the people don't believe in verse 9. And, and Moses says, I can't do that. He's not going to listen to me. I'm, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And God just says, I'm going to give you the charge. You need to go anyway. It's, it's, take, it's putting one foot in front of the other, whether you're feeling it or not. It, you know, if you're married, you're not feeling 100% satisfied. God's not asking you to be 100% happy. He's asking you to put another foot in front of the other and trust him for what's next. And the same thing applies to your work and other relationships. So God is calling us friends, brothers and sisters, to live by faith, not by sight. Don't let your feelings inter interpret God's work. You know, here at the end, Henry Light was a poet, and he wrote a poem, a song called Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. Henry Light's father and mother split up when he was young, and he wrote to his son, Henry, and signed it, Your Uncle, signifying to Henry Light that, don't call me father anymore, just call me uncle. And this, this man, though that's quite a suffering, he did not live by sight. He lived by faith. And here are some words from his song that, that shows you how to live out the covenant promises of God. He says, he says this, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, Thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. Yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. He, he goes on he, to say, Man may trouble and distress me, twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me, heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me, while thy love is left to me. Oh, t'were not in joy to charm me, were that joy unmixed with thee. He says, here's what he says to, to, uh, to fame and treasure. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come, disaster, scorn, and pain. In thy service, God, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. Now, you might think that uh, Henry didn't know what it was like to have a father. He says, I have called thee, Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to thee. And now he says this. I know this is long, but bear with me. Here, here's him talking to himself. Soul, he says, soul, then know thy full salvation. Rise o'er sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station, every part of life, something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven. 
canst thou repine? Can you feel discontent when that? When the, when the Holy Trinity has come after you? Friends, will you walk by faith or will you walk by sight? The way to walk by faith is remembering the God of the past, believing the God of the present, and trusting the God of the future. Let's pray. God, some days it just feels too hard to remember, to believe, to trust. Would you please cast our minds and our hearts and our eyes to Jesus Christ, who died to win us? You have made the way to a relationship with you. Oh God, we ask you, we, we plead with you, and we have every reason to believe by faith that you will not reject us. You will not cast us away. Then we ask you to assure us with your love and help us to live by faith. Help us to walk by faith because of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We ask it in your name. Amen.